You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. I'm here. Tommy's here. Aaron's here. Uh, Got a lot to get to. We're going to get to the LeBron stuff. Uh, If you haven't seen the video of LeBron's travel last night or his celebration late in the game where he came onto the floor, um, go look at it at some point. Uh, Look it up on your phone right now as you're listening to the podcast or delay the podcast. Pause the podcast and look at it because we're going to get to that. We have to get to that. Some Redskins today, a smell test pick to end the show for the Thursday night game, Chicago and Dallas. Um, I want to start with Maryland because I went to the game last night. They played Notre Dame in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. So how did you get to the game? How did you go? I drove. No, I mean, how did you get into the game? What do you mean? I mean, you know, did you get, get a ticket? Yeah, I had a ticket. Really? Was it a good ticket? What did it satisfy to see in ticket test? <laughs> it was, um, they were fine. They were the station's tickets. Okay. The station gets tickets, pretty good seats. Okay. Um, and Were I, you recognized when you were there? I, I actually, you know what? People were, uh, several people were very nice to me. Okay. Came up to me and said hello. And Why wouldn't they cu- be nice A couple to you? of, you know, what's up, Sheehan? <laughs> and then people just you know keep walking. I'm like, hey, what's up? I'll talk to you. Well, let's let's chat. Uh, but nobody wants to sit there and chat, nor do I actually <laughs> in that situation. I know that. <laughs> but there were there were a lot of people. Um, not a lot, but uh, it was good to see some people who listen to the podcast and listen to the radio show. I went with my son. I picked him up. He lives in okay. College Park, and he's out at Maryland. And I picked him up, and we went to the game. And um, and so. This is a really good basketball team. And I'm really so hesitant because I'm superstitious when it comes to my favorite teams. I don't, it's December 5th. I don't want to go crazy at this point. This is a really, really good team. I know that. Like, it's a team. Gary Williams was on the radio with me this morning, and he said, Look, if the season ended today, Maryland would be one of the two or three favorites to win the whole thing. You know, they're number three in the country. Right. But it's more than that. Mike Bray, after the game, the head coach of Notre Dame, said, quote, they smothered us. That was varsity versus the JV tonight. We haven't played against anybody like that in a while, even in the ACC. I'm glad they're not in our league, closed quote. Now, Well, this was their best performance, wasn't it? Let me just say to, to Coach Bray, I wish we were in your league. (laughs) I wish we still were in your league. Um, And uh, keep in mind, he's talking about last year's ACC. They did open up with North Carolina, but they haven't played the ACC schedule yet. Last year, the ACC was pretty damn good. Yes. You know, so... um, Well, they won the national championship. They won the national championship, and Duke was certainly favored to win the national championship, even though Virginia won it. Um, It was... uh, here, here's what they they have. They have a very good. T- they have very very good players, Tommy, right now, and lots of very good players. That that is the the, the depth that they have and the number of buttons that Turgeon can push is really amazing. You know, in college basketball today, you, you get get a rotation of seven or eight deep, and you know every everybody's got a role. You're not sure who's going to do it to you from game to game. So you have, you know, their best five players who he has now started for, I think, uh, two straight games the Marquette game on Sunday and then last night against Notre Dame. You've got a point guard in Anthony Cowan, who's a senior, who is a leader, who hits every big shot for them, um, is great in transition, can score a lot, didn't even have to score last night. He had two points in the first half, they were up 12. 
Uh, they've got a big in Jalen Smith who um, can rebound, is a big-time shot blocker, had five blocks last night, and you know can stretch the floor and shoot the three. He's got a yes. great stroke. Um, they've got a a wing in Aaron Wiggins who may be their best pro prospect, you know, uh, ultimately, who can really stroke it from behind the arc and is developing a much better drive to the basket game and has become a much better defensive player. He's super long. And then they have a defensive stopper, but really an all-around player. Gary called Daryl Morcel this morning on the show, he, uh, Byron Mouton, okay. you know, from the National Champions. Yeah. And it's a great comp. Like, D- Morcel does everything. Morcel when Marcel was a freshman, you know, and you know all of my friends who are Maryland basketball fans, we obsess over this. And a lot of them are like, man, Marcel, he doesn't handle the ball well. He doesn't shoot, you know. And I'm like, he's a Gary guy. This is exactly who Gary Williams would love. A tough kid from Baltimore who competes, who defends, who does everything well, nothing great. But he is a great defender. Um, then they've got a super high IQ you know, everything guard in Eric Ayala. You know, he's sort of an old-school game, although he had a vicious dunk last night, Eric. Uh, Aaron, you saw that on the breakaway. That was surprising. I didn't even know Ayala could get up like that. Yeah, on there, that there were a couple surprising dunks yesterday. Yeah, um, but he's an old-school, um, calming presence, real high IQ, makes everything easy for everybody, but can really get to the rim, uses his body so well. as a, as a. But that's their top five. And then they come off the bench. With just about everything, including two twin six foot ten, two hundred and forty pound freshmen, the Mitchell twins. I'm telling you right now, these two guys are going to be really good players. And he's playing them more and more. He's playing the number twenty one, Makai Mitchell, a lot more than his brother Mikel, who's number twenty two, if you're a Terp fan. They're identical twins. Um, but they both can catch, they both have good feet, and they're confident. Like you know, typically you throw the ball into a big freshman big in one of their first few games, and they're hesitant. These guys are going to work. <laughs> they're going to work. They got moves. They got good feet. They don't always finish, but they're both rebounders. Then they got a tough kid from Philadelphia, Dante Scott. He's six seven. He's already two twenty, two twenty five. He can he can shoot it, but he's a physical player. And then they got all these other guys that were factors last year, like Sorrell Smith and Ricky Lindo, who both contributed last night. It is a deep team, it's a good team, it's a high IQ team, but here's the part of it that I love about Maryland so far this year, because it was my single biggest complaint, if you recall, last year. Last year, they were 308th nationally in pace of play, possessions per game. Right. And all every game that they lost, and even several games that they won, I'm, I would come in here and I would I oh, wish yeah. they would play faster. Yeah, I remember. I would just wish that they would play faster. They've got too much talent, and their talent looks like it would really fit an up-tempo game. Well, this year, Mark Turgeon's team is playing fast. They're 132nd in the nation right now in possessions per game, which is almost 200 spots higher right. than they were a year ago. They're looking at every opportunity to break. Their players are... are he's less concerned about mistakes in transition. He knows he can get, with his talent, easy buckets in transition, easy looks for three-point shots. Now, we'll see how it translates to Big Ten play, where you're super well-scouted, where these teams are really well-coached, and, you know, teams like uh, Purdue and Wisconsin and certainly, you know, a team like Michigan, even probably with Juwan Howard, it's tough to fast-break against them as much as you would like. 
This is a a team, Tommy, right now that I think is the best Maryland team on paper and the best I've seen through nine games um, in a long time. Okay, I, 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 It's certainly the best Turgeon team. The okay. best well, Turgeon Let me team. ask you two things. First of all, I watched the game last night. I was at Shelly's back room. I saw you tweeted that out. Yeah. And you I, tweeted I, that out with um, with uh, with Bert Sugar's, with Bert picture. Sugar's yeah. picture on it. Yeah. yeah, I miss my friend Bert. Yeah, but uh, I watched the game last night uh, with some Maryland fans at, at, at Shelley's, and two things, two things that they talked about. One is, uh, and look, they, they were they loved the outcome of the game, but early on, they were very frustrated, and uh, they were saying that. This is a mark of Turgeon's teams that they get off to a slow start. They have this year. Right. And they, they said that this is a coaching issue. To I mean, to not have your team ready to, to uh you know, to play right from the start. If they're playing a team like Michigan or Ohio State or something like that, that could be a problem. Getting off to a slow start and digging you dig a hole in yourself for basketball, it could last all two minutes. Right. You know, I mean, so I don't want to overemphasize that. The other thing that really impressed me is and this is very, very small sample size. There's not a lot of love for Turgeon as a coach. I mean, you know, even if he's successful, there's a lot of people out there who, who there's there's a segment of the Maryland pop uh, fan base that just doesn't think he's a good coach. Totally agree with that. Yeah, it's it's been that way really for a while now. Yeah. Hey, look, he's in his ninth season now. Is that amazing to anybody else? <laughs> That he's in his ninth season. It is his ninth, right, Aaron? It's his ninth year. Uh, uh, yes, 11, was, 12, 13, yeah. 14, 15, the 16, el- 17, 18, 19. The 11, 12 season was his first. Yeah, so this is his ninth season. He's been to one Sweet 16. Right. He's been beyond the first weekend of the tournament one time. And that's why Maryland fans can't stand him. Yeah. Because Gary, for you know, even before Gary won the national championship and went to the final four in two thousand one and won it in two thousand two, there was a lot of frustration for Gary. Oh, I know. You know, it because know Maryland was. constantly came up short. But back then they were going to sweet sixteens on the regular. Yes. You know, Gary had you know, I think five, six, seven sweet sixteens before he got to his first final four. You know, I, I mean, I could go back and do the math. He got in in 94, uh, 95, uh, 98, 99. Uh, two th- so I think there were four or five Sweet 16s before, before he finally he got, got to, to the, the final, sweet four. Six, uh, final Four. Right. Of course, you could point out his last eight seasons, he went to zero Sweet 16s. Went to zero yes. Sweet 16s. Although, he also won an ACC championship. Yes, he did. Won an ACC tournament championship and had some very good teams that lost some absolute heartbreakers. 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 You know, and, and of course, his the last Michigan team, State game. The 2010 Corey Lucius dagger at the yes. buzzer, which was almost a fluke play with Draymond Green on the floor uh, as, as an aside. That team could have gone to the Final Four had yes. they survived that play. Absolutely. Um, but, you but, know, but that, so that's, that's, that was my takeaway from watching the Maryland game. I, I mean, I was surprised that, that uh, the guys I was watching with were so worried early on. I, I mean, like, you know, you looked up two minutes later and Maryland had a 10-point lead. Yeah, I, I so la- they have started off slowly. And when they've started off slowly previous to last night, it was more sloppy. Last night, they just couldn't make shots. They were getting great shots. They were defending exceptionally well. They made it very difficult for Notre Dame. So I was less concerned last night with their start than I was against Temple. Um, than I was against Rhode Island in the second game of the year. 
Um, and there was one other game where they started off slowly where I was halfway concerned. Last night in watching it, I had not seen Notre Dame, but I could tell through the first 10 minutes that Maryland, more likely than not, was going to win this game. They had better players. You could see it. Yeah. Notre Dame was really laboring to get good stuff. Maryland was getting good shots. They just were stone cold to start the game. And then at the end of the half, they erupted for like 18 points yeah, in four did. minutes. And they had yeah. a 12-point halftime lead and were never threatened um, after that. Um, it's going to be interesting. Like, you know, you're right about the feeling about Turgeon. And it's because of the results. Because I know that everybody, every Maryland fan that's even super frustrated with him and has been over the years, everybody likes Mark. And anybody that knows Mark, and I know Mark, you know, not I'm not like I'm a best friend of his, but I know him pretty well. You know, we play golf, you know, three, two, three times a, a summer together. I like him a lot personally, and everybody likes him personally. He's actually got a great sense of humor, which you wouldn't necessarily no. expect watching, you know, his press conferences. But he's got a a, a very quick um and 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 sort of self-deprecating sense of humor as well, and um. He's a good dude. You know, last year I was really frustrated. I think I told you this story. I know I told Aaron this story. So Scott and I were playing golf with him in the middle of the summer. It was four of us. It was Scott, me, Turgeon, and our friend Joe Preston actually was with us. I think it was Joe that was with us. And so, I don't know, we're on the, you know, finishing up the front nine and Scott looks at me and Turgeon's for, he said, are you going to tell him or am I going to tell him about what? About the pace of play thing, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 he uh, and I said, ah, come, you know, come on. I mean, he's like, no, no, we got we got to tell him, we got to say something about it because they have talent. We can't sit there and watch Anthony Cowan walk the ball up the court all of next year. <laughs> and so, of course, what Scott did is on a tee box. I don't know, like a hole later, he said. Hey, Mark, uh, Ke- Kevin wanted me to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but Turgeon had the best sense of humor about it. He laughed. He's like, oh, you guys all think you got all the answers. <laughs> and, you know, he told me many years ago, because remember where he coached before here at Texas A&M. Right. Where nobody cares about basketball. Spring football is 10 steps ahead in, in importance than basketball is, than men's basketball. So he was never really critiqued and, and criticized. And he came here, and I remember it was one of his first, maybe his first or second year here, and he came into the station to do something during the NCAA tournament. Remember, we would have coaches come right. in prior to, like, the Thursday games, and he was in there one morning. And um and and I we know a lot of the same people. Um, he lives in Kensington. I know a lot of the guys that are over there. A lot of the guys that are in the basketball community, sort of over there. And he said, "Man, he said the big difference between here and the places I've been is here. A, everybody loves basketball, and B, everybody thinks they're a coach." <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he just laughed. And I said, "Oh yeah, you're gonna get that." And he said, in this fan base, he goes, I already can tell, everybody's a coach. Everybody's got it figured out more than the coach himself. And I remember saying to him, I'm like, look, before Gary got to the Final Four, Gary was under a lot of heat. You know, that first Final Four season, they lost to Florida State at home in 2001, and Gary got booed walking off the floor (laughs) at Cole Fieldhouse the same season that they turned around and made it to the Final Four. It has always been... As you know, and not everybody that that listens to this podcast or listens to the radio show, a lot of Virginia people, you know, who aren't into basketball, they don't understand this. But you know this: Maryland has an incredibly 
long-standing, passionate fan base. They are it, it, people are into it, and you, as you know, and I know, and Aaron knows, you go to one of those big games at Comcast Center. There isn't anything in town that matches that. I mean, or exceeds it. You know, a Caps playoff game, the Nats playoff games, they may match the intensity. Nothing exceeds it when you've got a big-time game. People are really into it. And so when you're really into it, you have a passionate, long-standing, loyal fan base, and you're not getting to where you think you should be getting to, and you've sort of regressed as a program. And when right. you only go to one Sweet 16, you know, in – Aaron, going back to what, what was their last Sweet 16? 2003, the year after the yes. national championship, yes. before Turgeon got them there against Kansas. Yes. So you had basically a 13 year run of no Sweet 16s. Yeah. A lot of tournaments. You're in the tournament a lot. But Maryland fans for a long time were a little bit delusional, thinking that they should go to the Sweet 16 every year. I've always felt this about Maryland basketball it should never be, ever be worse than sort of a top 10 to top 15 program. The history, the tradition, the building, the fan base, the recruiting area, the league or the leagues that they've been in, you know, the Big Ten is still big-time basketball. You, you just are set up almost naturally to be, you know, a ranked team every year. You should be based on the talent you can attract. And I think, you know, if you take a, a five-year period – they should go to three Sweet 16s. They, sh- they should be in a tournament four times. They should go to two Sweet 16s. And on in one of those five years, they should be contending for a Final Four National Championship. To me, that's reasonable. I'm not saying they should be a contender for the National Championship every year. They're not Duke. They're not Carolina. They're not Kentucky. They're not Kansas. But they're in that next group of programs below the elite, be- be, you know, right. below the Blue Bloods. And those programs, you know, the, they... They're in the tournament almost every year, and they're in Sweet 16s on the regular. And once out of every four or five years, they're contending for legitimately the Final Four in a national championship. I think that's what Maryland should be. And this year, they they look like a Final Four contender. Okay, well, since they do do that, and you mentioned the frustration of not getting past the Sweet 16, what happens if they if they don't get past this the would Sweet be, 16 This, this would really be the worst okay. for him. Yeah. This would be the worst for him. Yeah, because the expectations... Especially now, ranked third I mean, the, in the country. Yeah, the expectations are pretty high. I know they were high on the Diamond Stone uh, team. They were. They got to number two in the country. Yes. Yeah, they were high for that, and that was a disappointment. But that was, uh, in the aftermath, that was uh, chalked up more to the dysfunction of some of the players than it was Turgeon. That's true. That This unit does not seem to carry that kind of baggage with them. Yeah, it's not like, you know, Diamond Stone came here. It was a controversial recruiting thing with Wisconsin and Under Armour and the whole thing. And you had the kid from Duke who who Suleiman transferred and, you know, you had um, uh, had Carter who was, you know, essentially looking for a a, a one-year stop. And so all of that was true. And, you know, the other thing about his one sweet 16 is they beat, Hawaii in the round of 32 to get there. You know, Hawaii was an upset first round winner. So it's not even like you beat a big name team to get to where you needed to get to. Right. They were very close last year. They had LSU on the ropes, obviously, in that second round game and had a chance to win that game, um, uh, you know, to to advance to a Sweet 16. And if they had if they had beaten LSU, they lost the buzzer to LSU or with two seconds to go, the, the, the Georgetown recruit, um, the LSU point guard, Aaron, 
that made the, the game winning shot. Waters? Yes. Waters. Yes. Uh, Tremaine Waters uh, made the, that driving layup. And if Maryland somehow had held on and won that game against LSU, you would have had Maryland in the Sweet 16 at Capital One Arena last year That's right. with Duke in the same region. Now, they would have played Michigan State in the Sweet 16, and that was not a good matchup for Maryland last year. So they, I don't know that they would have advanced, even though they would have had a significant home court advantage in, in the Sweet 16 game. Um, but it's a shame that he didn't get – they didn't win that game. It would have put almost a different – light on the program because it's slipped a little bit here in the last several yeah. years you would agree with that yeah, I mean, in terms look, of I've, importance i've been to some of the games some of the i mean the, this atmosphere that you talk about it's not as prevalent as it used to not, be no it's not no. it's not as consistently prevalent no. no now for the big games it still is right but it's got to be the big but, games but, but basically the big games you're talking two or three games yeah, it's like two or three games a yeah. year. You know, it's yeah. Michigan State, it's Indiana, yeah. you know, and and the, and the passion for those teams isn't anywhere near what it was no. for Duke or Carolina. No. Um, so one other thing before we move on to um, another subject, because I, I don't think, Aaron, we talked a lot about this on the podcast yesterday. I asked Gary about this and actually gave him um, an idea, which he uh, dismissed. Of course he did. I hate last night in the ACC Big Ten Challenge playing Notre Dame. I heard you talk about this I just on the can't radio. stand it. In no, you, you talked about the Maryland Panama. How many of those people said, why are we playing Notre Dame? Why aren't we playing Duke? Why aren't we playing North Carolina? Why, you know what? We played Virginia twice in this thing, but we've also played Pitt, Syracuse, and now Notre Dame. You know, you and I interviewed Coach K. I know. He told us. And you you know, you saw how, you heard how adamant he was and how frustrated and hurt he was Do you remember about he, Maryland leaving the ACC. Do you remember that their PR person said, you've got six minutes with Coach Krzyzewski? We did 17 minutes on the air with him, and then we recorded it. Yes. He was going to run the night. Yeah. And then when it was over, I stayed on the phone with him for like another 10 oh, minutes. Yeah. Because he said to me before he hung up, he said, I sense the passion in your voice and, and the Maryland fan that you are, and I just want you to know we never wanted Maryland to leave the ACC. It hurts that Maryland's gone, and I'm going to miss those games just as much as you're going to miss those games. And he also sort of said, and we're never Never going to play them. And I think he's going to stick to that. Yeah. I don't think you're unless, – unless circumstances dictate it, they're, it's, they're, it, they're not going to play Maryland because of their own accord. Business should dictate it. You know how big Maryland Duke in, in last night would have been. I don't think Duke has to worry about the bottom line. I I, I understand that, but yeah. for these leagues and these in college basketball in general, which doesn't get paid attention to until March, for the most part, I, I get that. But, La, but, last but year the was ACC, a bit different. the ACC will will do what Shashevsky wants. They're not going to force. Yeah, I, I, not going to push it. him. I get it. So Maryland so Duke asked, is asked, not is not going to happen. So in I the told ACC. Gary he should talk to Shashevsky about it. <laughs> And try to convince yeah. them of it. But you, you ask why we're playing these teams. Well, because Pitt was Maryland's rival in the ACC. Yeah, I know. At the for the final, <laughs> they, they were the official rival. They, they were well. They, there were two crossovers, and it became Pitt and Virginia. Right. And, but, but it would have been the Pitt year, and Maryland. But, but the year, well, no. In basketball, you had two. Well, there were no crossovers. crossovers. There were no divisions. 
in basketball. I'm talking oh, about. The, yes. You the, still the, had it scheduling wise yes. when they had the unbalanced. You, you had the two official people. Yes, it was you Virginia two, and Pitt. It was just for that last year. It was Duke and Virginia yes. the year before Pitt came into the league. Right. But that's also because they knew Maryland was leaving. If Maryland were staying in the league, Duke still, would have been the crossover. It still was Pitt, though. It was always Pitt was the plan. Yeah, I whatever. I mean, I, I understand that the 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 the, the leagues the all change and the, the ACC is not the same. I get that. I get that. It doesn't mean that I can't yearn <laughs> and be nostalgic over what it used to be. No, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, and and when you have not looked, look at what Syracuse and Georgetown do. Yes, you know they they play every single year. And in, you're set up with this ACC Big Ten Challenge, which, by the way, it, Aaron, it's like 20 years old this thing is now, right? Yeah. it's. I mean, I'm not sure but the Syracuse, exact number, but it's been around for a while. Syracuse and Georgetown play because the two guys that run those programs, Bayheim and Big John, yeah. wanted to keep playing. I understand that. That's I, why. I, you, know, you know who wanted to continue the Georgetown-Maryland thing in the Gavit games after those two years? JT3 wanted to continue. Did he really? I think so. Um, I mean, because that, that would be great if those had continued. Right. I, all I'm saying is that, you know what, if, if, if Kay's not going to play Maryland and doesn't want to play Maryland, Roy's already played Maryland once. Right. In these, it, when we have these games, so Gary said, and I remember this being the case, that what, they, what the Big Ten and ACC have always tried to do is they've always tried to create the most attractive matchups for television. Well, Maryland was number seven preseason. So matching them up against Carolina would have been – you know, or or Virginia, even if it wasn't Duke, would have been preferable to Notre Dame. I mean, I know it's Notre Dame, and they've had some good teams. And Maryland, actually, if you go way back to lefties years, they had a tradition of playing Notre Dame every single year. Well, those are the John Shoemate years. Well, Dantley, Shoemate, those years. Yeah. But even after that, Donald Duck Williams, who played at Mackin, and and a lot of those Notre Dame, Kelly Trapuca, Bill Lambeer. Yeah. Maryland played in the 70s and 80s, played Every single year, Notre Dame as a non-conference game. You know, they'd play here one year, and the next year they'd play in South Bend. Had some legendary games, too, like highly ranked matchups. Albert King and Buck Williams, that team with Greg Manning and, and Ernie Graham, went to South Bend, I think is the number two team in the country, and Notre Dame was ranked fourth. They played a game. It was a you know, huge game. Al McGuire, Dick Enberg, Billy <laughs> Packer on the call for NBC. But anyway, I just would prefer that you know the Big Ten – it, it's better business for this tournament, for television, for Maryland in particular, if they're hosting it, to play a traditional ACC rival. Well, I'm sure Gary is working on it for you. <laughs> he didn't sound overly <laughs> excited about that. Uh, real quick word about stamps.com. Uh, when I talk about stamps.com, I always wonder who in the world still goes to the post office and why. Stamps.com is there to bring the post office right to you. You don't need to interrupt your workday to fight traffic to get to the post office. And during the holidays, it's crazy because it's so busy. That's why you need stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office, you can do at stamps.com. It eliminates the trip to the post office altogether and saves you money. You simply use your computer. You print official U.S. postage out 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. And once your mail is ready, you just hand it to the mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. All right, you save five cents off every first-class stamp, for starters. You save 40% off priority mail. 
uh, priority mail. Um, but here's the deal you can take advantage of right now during this holiday season. If you sign up for stamps.com, there's no risk using my, my promo code, Kevin DC. That's K-E-V-I-N-D-C. You get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term contracts or commitments. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in my promo code, Kevin DC. That's stamps.com. Enter Kevin DC. If you're a small business, use stamps.com. Saves you time, saves you money. Going to get to the Redskins here um, in a bit, and I've got a smell test pick for tonight as well. Uh, I did want to mention this real quickly before we get to LeBron James and what happened last night, Tommy. You know, Georgetown had all of this, you know, turmoil earlier in the week. Yes. Their best player, Akinjo, which was, he was not accused of anything involving these sexual harassment allegations with LeBlanc and a couple of the other players. But they lost Akinjo and LeBlanc this week, and it seemed like, you know, oh my God, Georgetown basketball is in a heap of trouble. Last night, they went to Oklahoma State as an 11-point underdog to play Oklahoma State, they're who was undefeated. They were ranked. They, were ranked, like they weren't 20, ranked. They weren't ranked? I no. thought they were. Were they ranked, Aaron? Oklahoma I, State? I don't think they were. I think they were ranked 25th. I think I looked that up, and they were not ranked. Let's see if you're right. Oh, in the coaches' poll, they were ranked 25th. Yeah. Very good. 7-0, and Oklahoma State, and they won the game on the road. Yeah, McClung had what, 31 <clears throat> points? Yes, McClung had 33 points. Yeah. Had 33 points in that win. That's a, it's really like when you do that with all the turmoil and all the issues, and you go on the road and you beat an undefeated team. And by the way, Oklahoma State is a basketball school. Yes. You know, that is one of the Big 12 schools that is a basketball first school. They've got a lot of tradition at Oklahoma State in basketball, a great home court uh, environment, too. And they went down there and won. One weird thing about that game, the uh, the other two players, not McClung, but the other played, two. Played, right? They played I in that I saw game. that. That's going to be a thing. Their next home game's against Syracuse, and that's something that they need to address before that game. I don't, you know, it is very difficult when you are in this position of making the call on, do you play somebody with these accusations out there, or... Do you not play them and then have the risk that these accusations were baseless and you you essentially suspended them or sat them unnecessarily? You know, a lot of people go back to the Duke lacrosse case and say, it's crazy. Like, you got to wait for the facts to come out. Maybe that's what Georgetown's doing right now. I don't know. I mean, the, the optics of it aren't great. No, the optics aren't great. And the school has to, the people, the decision makers have to have an, uh, some kind of idea at this point, as to which way uh, the credibility is leaning. You've got, I mean, you can't be an idiot about this. Right. I mean, so yeah, there's a chance, like in the Duke case, that you could be wrong, so you don't want the rush to judgment. Well, you also have some liability when you start to do that, right? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, because because the implication, if you suspend a player like that, is that, that you believe that, that there's a chance that player is guilty. Um, uh, either that or uh, I, I don't know what Georgetown's po- official policy is. Me neither. I don't know if they have one. But if you have, have an official policy that says, that basically spells out, if, if, if there's certain accusations against you, uh, you're, you're, you're out until, until they're cleared up, then I think their liability would be covered. They sh- you know what? Every school should have that policy. If there's an accusation, no matter how baseless, and we're sorry about this, but our policy 
is that until we get all the facts, you don't play. Yeah. And you understand that coming in. Yeah. You know, that's a pretty good policy. That's a pretty safe route to take. And it hurts if the if if that player, those group of players end up missing a bunch of games while the facts are being sorted out. And when the facts are sorted out, it turns out that these were baseless allegations. That hurts. Now, here's the problem with with campus justice is uh, campus police have a terrible uh, reputation uh, generally. Not at Georgetown, I'm saying. Just that's a general rule. Campus police are not trusted uh, in terms of conducting investigations that, that would shine the light on the truth. I mean, they're usually, they're perceived to be in cover-up mode for the school in most cases. Whether that's an accurate perception or not, that's the perception. There's a lot of mistrust among students of campus police and campus justice as opposed to regular police off, you know, off campus. So that's part of the problem, too, yeah. is, uh, you know, like, I mean, if that that's part of the reason why the school maybe should be overly cautious about uh, protecting themselves in this situation because you, you, I don't think you can rely on your own police to be able to come up with, with the accurate percep- the accurate credibility measure that you're going to need to make a quick judgment. You mean like Officer Mulcaney, you know, down in College Park and some yeah. of the basketball players are getting in trouble? <laughs> yeah. Come here, Adrian. Come here, Leonard. <laughs> we got you covered. Yeah. So. Uh, by the way, I'm not suggesting that Leonard or Adrian – Branch bias ever did anything? I just the first two names. So it, it's a very touch. It's a very yeah. touchy situation. But in the end, and this is like falling on deaf ears. You have to remember your school at some point. <laughs> you, you really do. All right. And Georgetown in particular does. Oh, what Maryland doesn't? No, don't come on, <laughs> Kevin. Come on, Kevin. Look, I teach at Georgetown. Yeah, I, I know the difference between the two. Okay? I, do, I do, too. But, you know, that's sort of pretentious. Well, I mean, it's only pretentious for, for because you. it's true. Yeah, well, okay. Um, LeBron James last night. There are two things we're going to talk about. First of all, if you haven't seen the video of him traveling, he crosses half court. Traveling? They played Utah on the road. And he crosses half court. And he the ball, he's dribbling. He's, he's, he's bringing the ball up the court. The ball essentially suspends in the air as he takes three or four steps. I mean, Bogdanovich is sitting in front of him screaming, are you kidding me? And it doesn't get called. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a travel in, in it's... any game ever played in the history of the sport. And LeBron was embarrassed about it and said that uh, he essentially said, I was distracted by a collision involving Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Donovan Mitchell, and I just sort of, you know, forgot what I was doing. It was almost like, you know, when he did that, it was almost like he expected play to stop. Yeah. That's what it was. It was the kind of thing that, you know, well, somebody blew a whistle or something happened and play's going to stop. You know what? It's like somebody heard a whistle from the crowd but didn't know what it was and they stopped playing and then the referees are oh, we we heard that too let's let's let you inbound the ball no no he just traveled yeah it didn't I mean, get cold i mean like you like you said in any playground game i've ever played that if somebody did that that is not that they're not getting away with that yeah so um so we we didn't talk about the ratings of the nba did we the other day no, we didn't. The, the ratings in the NBA are way down right. on ESPN and TNT. And it, it's understandable because the product they have is unwatchable. So um, the Wizards' ratings are off 57%. 57%. Now, you know the reason for that, right? Well, of course I know the reason for that. What? 
because they changed their broadcast. <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons we yes. would like to think because we're big fans of Buck. Yes. And actually, this guy, Justin Kutcher, who's doing the games, is that how you pronounce his name, Aaron? He's actually pretty good. I mean, I've listened and I've watched a couple games. He's doing a good job. I like Drew Gooden a lot um, as an analyst, but I, you know, but Buck's Buck in, and, in a, Buck a different and Phil, level. Buck and level. Phil were fine. Yeah, they were just fine. Yeah, that, that that there was no need for this kind of change, other than for Ted's son Zach to flex his inherited muscles. Well, I mean, are they they're flexing their muscles on this Arena League football team, aren't they? How's that going? Oh, by the way, the Arena League, <laughs> El Foldo, baby. What they they got two teams? No, they were at the forefront of this. I know they were going to flip it and turn it around with all of their data analytics. I, I know, thought. I know. Ted talked about the future of indoor sports. What happened? That outdoor sports were passe. Yes, and the future was indoor. Was sports. Was this in the book of, of happiness? I don't uh, ver- think version two point I don't think so. I don't. I don't think the Arena League collapsed. Uh. Finally, you know this league. In how, some, how are he and his boys doing gambling now that it's legal? Well, I'd love to see one of, I would love to see Zach and all of his friends to see how much they're killing Vegas <laughs> or killing the legal sports book. I can't wait till the sports book opens there. Yeah. Ace Rothstein opens his sports book there. <laughs> We're going to be customers, I'm yeah, sure. Absolutely. No, you know, it's funny because the Arena League in various forms existed for since 1987. I know that. And Ted managed to kill it. <laughs> Ted, once Ted and, and all of Monumental and all of the super smart, data analytically driven AOL guys got involved, the thing tanked within less in less than a year, I think. You have such contempt bought, for these he bought, guys. He bought two it's teams. Not one team, too. I know, I know. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe, maybe the data that that spit out said... Buy two teams, but really it meant to say buy one team. I don't know what you happened. You know, it's today. funny because John Bon Jovi and Jaworski Philadelphia. owned the Philadelphia team, which seemed to be For doing years. fine until Ted came along. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, don't worry about it because all they're going to be able to gamble their way out of this loss. Yes. I'm sure betting on sports using all of the data uh, that they, they uh, now, will have. Now, as um, an aside real quick, mm-hmm. since we're on, on the uh, Ted take here, so to speak, Ted's take. Uh, and Aaron, I want to ask you about this. I asked you about this before. How's his team defensively? No, <laughs> uh, there is an there is an a UFC mixed martial arts card Saturday night at the Capital One Arena. It's the first time UFC has been in the area, I think, since 2011, uh, and they were at Eagle Bank Arena then, and I think they've been at the old Verizon Center. Maybe one time in like 2007 or 2008 or something like that, because I remember being there for that. But a few years ago, maybe a year or two ago, Ted became an investor in a competitor for UFC called the Professional Fighters League. How did that go? Well, they're, they're still operating, right? Aaron, the PFL is still operating, I think. I went on their website and they had one event in D.C. that did not do yes, very well. Professional Fighters League is, is still active. Yeah, now they had one event in D.C. at Ted's Mini Arena, you know, the little right. arena. Uh, and I don't think it, it drew very well. Uh, and they ha- I don't think they've been back to D.C. But I find it fine. And, and Ted was quoted in a Bleacher Report article about a year or two ago, basically saying, you know, basically taking shots at UFC and saying that, you know, we're going to do it better. We're going to do something different. And we're going to do it better. And now I just think it's curious. There's nothing to it because, you know, I talked to somebody with UFC who's pretty high up who I know. And, you know, there's nothing to this. But I find it curious that Ted is is hosting in his arena 
the com- the competition mm-hmm. to the perfect to the league that he's an investor in. I mean, do you think that's a little bit unusual? Yeah, I, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's your c- competitor. Unless you know the, it's such a huge you know uh, profit uh, opportunity, and if it doesn't go there, it's going to go to Eagle Bank or it's going to go well. Ted somewhere owns else. those. Ted runs Eagle Bank too. No, I'm talking. Oh, I thought Eagle Bank was the uh, Mason facility. Yeah, Ted runs that. Oh, one. he does. Yeah, that's, oh, I didn't know that. Isn't that right, Aaron? I th- I think Ted runs Monumental. I think I think Monumental. Okay. Uh, I don't know if they own it, but I think they operate it, and I think they they lease it. I, I just it, wish it, it is the first university venue to be managed by a private company. Yeah. Monument oh, I didn't, Sports I didn't realize that. Yeah. I didn't realize that either. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just switching. So this is an aside. Staying on Ted, but yeah. a different you know uh, topic on Ted. Why? I, I don't know if he's calling the defenses or not on, on his on the NBA bench that he sits on. But they really got to improve the defense. I would think that somehow, some way, they've come up with a lot of answers to a lot of different things. I mean, they're going to take down Vegas with all of their you know smart uh, gambling takes. They're going to open up their own casino, which uh, invite all their friends in, uh, and and they're going to have such a great time, you know, beating whoever's running the actual sports book in the restaurant that they'll have it in. Why can't William he figure? Hill, by the way. What is it? William, William Hill. Yeah, William Hill. Why can't he figure out a way to get a, the team better on defense? Well, that would require firing the head coach. No, no, no. I think he's a he's more of like an assistant. Oh, you mean Scott Brooks? Yeah, no, Scott. No, Scott Brooks is the head coach. Ted is there. You see him communicating with the coaches during the timeouts. I know. So that, that would require getting rid of, of of the head. coach. I wonder what kind of input. In all seriousness, I wonder what kind of input he actually does have. I'm thinking. The of the I'm games. thinking he doesn't have much in. But well, he's ta- remember, remember, he's talking he, to players right when they come off and they're in the huddles. Remember, he said, "Is it after, just encouraging stuff?" After Ernie got fired, he said, "Part of the problem was I didn't realize what was going on." And this guy sat on the end of the bench and Sitting didn't have right a, there. didn't have an idea what was. Maybe the problem with arena football was he wasn't on the bench enough. Can I? Let me, let me just say this because we mock Ted a lot, justifiably so for a lot of things. You know what? He's got a great hockey team. Every single time I go to Capital One Arena for anything, it's done in a first-rate way. Yeah. Like he does from his AOL days and probably other businesses he's been involved in, he does know how to build and operate a customer business, like with the customer in mind and making it convenient and making it better. And, you know, that's something the other owner in town, one of the other owners in town has no idea no, no uh, on what to do. Um, I uh, Getting back to the ratings, which somehow started this conversation about UFC and the competitor to UFC, the ratings for the Wizards games primarily are down because they matched up against like multiple World Series games when the season started in October. So no one watched like three or four games in October. So they probably had a true zero rating instead of like a 1 or 1.2, whatever it is. But I wanted to get back to LeBron for a second because NBA ratings overall are down on TNT and ESPN. And when I watched the travel last night, but more importantly, when I watched LeBron at the end of the game with the Lakers up by 20, he's on the bench, his shoes have been taken off. And by the way, I think he signed them and gave them to a fan. That's sweet and nice. Um, there was a sequence underneath the basket closest to the Lakers bench where Kyle Kuzma was still out on the floor. And one of the Utah Jazz players, they're down 20, the game's over with two minutes to go, has one shot blocked by Kuzma. 
the offensive player, the Utah player, grabs the the offensive rebound, and here comes LeBron off the bench, onto the floor. He's now you know on the actual on the playing court, waving a towel, cheering Kuzma on. And game is going. Game's going on. Game is. It, the, as he starts to walk on the court, is probably fifteen, you know, twelve to fifteen feet away from him. But he inches closer. He's inside the the baseline. All right, so he's on the court. He's now moved inside the three point line in the corner. He's approaching the actual paint. You know, about three, four feet outside the paint, where all of the action's going on, waving his towel, <laughs> cheering, as Kuzma gets a second block, and then the action goes in the other direction, and LeBron's in the paint doing a dance. Jumping floor, up and down, right. Jumping up and down, then he turns around, and he does a dance back to the bench, and then in his socks, slides into the bench, <laughs> high-fiving all of his teammates. And so... These ratings that have dropped, I believe that there is a certain segment of the sports-viewing population of basketball fans who look at things like that, and I know that this is going to be one of those okay boomer moments for a lot of you, a lot of you that are younger, but just bear with me. Because it doesn't matter who you know, and, and why someone is off-put by this, but I guarantee you that a lot of people that watch basketball aren't watching as much because of things like that. They may be an older part of the sports population, sports viewing population. It you know there could be a lot of reasons. But you when you t- turn on a game and you see somebody walk three or four steps with the ball in his hand and it doesn't get called and then you see a guy on the court while the game's going on waving a towel, a near participant in the game at that point as a sixth man on the floor, and you don't see him whistled for a tech, and it's actually celebrated, you know, by his teammates. Now, the opposing uh, television crew, the Salt Lake television crew, yeah. called it incredibly disrespectful to the game. I don't know that that's his intent at that point, that it's disrespectful, but this is, you know, this is the era we're living in, and not to sound like anti millennial and that kind of thing, but. You know, a lot of these players, it's more about them than it is the team. It's more, you know, it's just like fans. Like, more fans, you know, root. they don't root for teams. I said this morning, they don't root for teams, they root for memes. Like, they can't wait to see what comes out of a game when it goes viral. Yes. The result of the game doesn't matter. Certain players matter from a fantasy standpoint. I understand that. But... You and I and people of our age, your age, my age, and, and even, you know, five, ten years younger, we rooted for we, – we enjoyed the games. We rooted for the teams. There, This sounds like an old man get-off-your-lawn rant. I understand that. I'm not stupid, okay? And I got a bunch of OK Boomer responses on Twitter this morning to this. That's an intelligent but, take, but by you, the way, OK Boomer. But you, exactly. <laughs> um, but you can't – you can't walk out onto the floor waving a towel where you're near you're in the action almost now somebody said he's not as close to the action as you said and i said so i went back and measured you know as much as you could from video he's every bit of three feet inside the baseline he's every bit of eight to ten feet from the sideline right he's four to six feet from the actual action to me if it was if it was a fight He'd be kicked out of the game. Of course. For being on the court oh, like he was, that. He was on the court. Yeah. Now, if it was a fight, 
He he'd have been kicked out and suspended. You see in the so end, that's so he's literally on the court. There's no question about that. You know, in the NBA over the last I don't know ten to fifteen years, the benches have gotten further away from midcourt and much further closer to the baseline, to where a lot of the bench extends beyond the baseline. Right. And you'll see players standing up and cheering, and they're not on the court, but sometimes when the action goes to the other end and they're really fired up, they might accidentally step on the court or take a step or two into the court. LeBron is on the court, behaving like a child. First of all, like I, I was also wondering... This was Kyle Kuzma. Like, this wasn't the last guy on the bench that just came off that never gets any playing time and gets two back-to-back block shots, and everybody in the bench is really happy for the guy that never gets in. This is Kyle Kuzma, okay, who just happened to have still been in the game. So it's a bit of a phony response to begin with from LeBron, which I think a lot of people sort of get that with him. Okay, but... But but again, like, you know what? If you want people to watch this sport in November and December... Don't do clownish stuff like that. Understand that you you may not care about an older generation that wants to watch, you know, people respect the game, play the game, but I, whether it's intended disrespect or not, the net result is disrespect to the game. What he did there well, by if, coming off the bench and waving a towel on the floor while the action was going on four to six feet away from him. If the if if the crowd that you're talking about is offended by that. It's the same crowd that's turned off by the style of play. I mean, you're the exception for your age. You're I know. not the I, rule. No, I, I agree with okay. what you're about to say. Go ahead and, okay. and finish I mean, it. Like, All the three-pointers. Yes. The, the, I, mean, yes. They're, they're, I mean, most of our generation, mine and younger's, I think like for, for a 15 or 20-year uh, uh, age span, are turned off by the style of play of the NBA now. And I think that's that's a that's a big contributor. I and I got honestly think part of a big contributor for the television ratings being down is is the the the, the NBA that matters is on the West Coast now. Yeah, there are a lot of those reasons. Yeah. The West Coast games with the Clippers and the and yeah. the Lakers in, in particular. I mean, you know, so so that that's part of the problem yeah. as well. But I I do think the product for me who loves basketball. I mean. Uh, we talk, you know. I, I mean, everyone thinks I'm a baseball guy. My first love was used to be always be basketball, and the NBA was always my first love. I mean, uh, you know, all for years. I mean, for decades, most of my life. And I, I just, I, I think it's unwatchable now. I, um, I agree with what you're saying. Um, that a lot of people are turned off to the game for a lot of those reasons, the way the game's played. And I mean, my God, this year, I mean, you talk about a year with no defense. I haven't seen any numbers on it yet, but I have to bet that more points are being scored in the and have been scored in the first two months plus of this season than in recent memory. But anyway, um, I agree with that. But I think it's much beyond that, Tommy, because, you know, the, the playoff numbers – you know, especially when we had those Golden State uh, Cleveland series, you know, four of them in a row. You know, I think the NBA playoffs are phenomenal. I like the NBA. I love the NBA playoffs. Um, but I, I think it's more than just the style of play and the three-point shooting contests and the lack of defense. I think it's this, this like um, obsession with the, these players. Th- about, you know, sort of image and, you know, social media. And it's more, it, it just seems that it's not as serious to them. 
the actual results of the games. But you know, this is creeping into the NFL too. Uh, it's creeping into a lot of different things. Yeah. And I, and I but and I, I'm I'm not here to say that people who are enjoying sports for different reasons are wrong. You know, you enjoy the NFL for perhaps fantasy reasons, you know, instead of really rooting for a team. And it's hard to root for the team here locally. I just think that it's, uh, there, there are certain people that watch that last night and then watch LeBron make big statements on China. And, you know, and, and it's, it, it's a lot, it's heavy LeBron. And then they see all of the, you know, teaming up to go together to places and Anthony Davis, you know, demanding a trade when he's got contract left. I think all of that stuff adds up with the style of play that makes people say, I got better things to do with my time. But I do think it's an older demographic that well, feels that way, but primarily. But it is, but it's the, it's, again, you know, people keep saying older demographic, and this seems foolish to say this. And I know people dismiss it, but young people are going to get old. Yeah. Okay. And what makes and I can guarantee you <laughs> that what was what them. was important to you when you were thirty five is not going to be the same thing that's important to you when you're fifty five. So your tastes are going to change. You're going to get old. You're going to age, and, and your likes and dislikes are going to be different then than they are now. And I don't know why anyone thinks they're going to stay the same, that this NBA mo- millennial tap-in that they've got is going to carry over to when they're closer to Social Security than they are their driver's license. That's just not going to happen. God, can you imagine the young fan of the NBA now that got a kick out of what, a Le- what LeBron did? Like, did you see that travel? And they didn't call it, which was smart, because it is LeBron. You should never call that. And it didn't impact the play at all. Um, it's not like it gave him an advantage. And then how about him on the floor? I mean, he was... N- but I would have loved Kyle Kuzma to have grabbed one of those block shots and thrown the ball to LeBron, you know, because he was that close. Yeah, like if yeah, you had, he was. If, if you had looked in your peripheral, you would have seen a teammate on the floor. Now, I think <clears throat> the NBA recognizes Adam Silver's a smart guy. And the NBA, one thing, of, of all the leagues, they're more willing to be bold and, and make change. You saw the story that was released about two weeks ago about the dramatic changes they're talking mm-hmm. about in the league, yeah. including an in-season oh, tournament. Ridiculous. But but that but they they are concerned. It would it's it would certainly appeal to the soccer crowd. Yes. To the twenty-something <laughs> soccer crowd that has no idea who's playing in these games, but they love a good party <laughs> World Cup time because that's what soccer does. Yes, it does. They're into friendlies and in-season cups. Yeah. So, you know? so that so the NBA they're they're concerned about what's going on, and they're willing to try. And it is a league that's always willing to try something more dramatic than the NFL or Major League Baseball might. I give them I give them credit for that. The NBA is more willing to be progressive, but uh, the problem is they need to look back, not look forward, as to figure out what's wrong. You think the whole China thing pissed some people off as far as the ratings go? In China, maybe, <laughs> where they were to- no, told the, to be the, pissed the NBA off. kowtowing to. I think people forgot that quickly. I, I think you're probably right on that. I mean that that's not a national anthem sticking issue. It's not. I I, I think that you're right about that. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I I still like the NBA and I like the NBA playoff time, but I definitely know people for years. You and I have had this conversation before. I've known people for years that can't stand the NBA. You I, can't, know, I can't wait till till Washington gets an NBA franchise. That's I what I either. can't wait for. Oh, God. That's going to be great. They play the Sixers tonight. Uh, and we're supposed to be we're supposed to be uh, happy about this team. You know what? Tommy Shepard 
That Bertans deal, it's going to produce a first-round pick. Look, I know that. He made great deals. But, but, but that this progression of this changing the culture isn't going to happen until they have a coaching change. I know you like Scott Brooks. I, well, no, I mean, you know how I feel about him. From I didn't at OKC. I we Legler would be on with me during the playoffs, and I would say, "What were they doing there at the end?" And Legler would say, "Well, they weren't doing anything yeah. that was planned." Yeah. Um, so until they, I mean, a culture change on the court has to start with the coach, and yeah. and this culture change that they talked about with with the three headed front office that 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 Ted instituted. Isn't gonna isn't gonna do diddly until they change the mindset of the players on the court. Right. All right. Uh, we'll get to the Redskins here in a moment. Uh, it's an exciting time for sports. None more exciting time of the year than when the NFL's coming down its home stretch. And Lamar Jackson's a huge story. And the odds on Jackson to win the MVP race are now he's the favorite. You know they were fifty to one to begin the season. Uh, MyBookie.ag's prop selection is more attractive than ever. There's so many props. You can bet right now on teams that you think are going to be in the playoffs that are sort of teetering. You can still pick division winners, MVP, more coaches to be fired. They've got plenty of prop bets. Next week, uh, switching subjects as it relates to MyBookie.ag, one of the most stacked UFC cards in a long time. Three championship fights on the 14th, all highly anticipated, right in the betting capital of the world. Las Vegas. Without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action, and I've got a place for you that works, mybookie.ag. If you're looking for quality lines and reliability, that's mybookie.ag. If you join right now, mybookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you got to do is use my promo code, KevinDC, to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code KevinDC to get your extra cash from MyBookie. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, uh, so I wanted to... um, share with you what I did on radio this morning. I don't know if you heard this or heard me do it or not. I did a Redskins at 8 segment that I wanted to do with you. And basically it is more of let's take a break from all of the dysfunction and let's act like this is a normal franchise for a moment and that we are a fan base. You're not a fan, but I'm a fan. And it's a normal conversation about a team. You know, it's not um, you know, the owner, it's not the team president, it's not the team name, it's not hashtags, it's not Reuben Foster, it's not any of that stuff. It's, you know, transporting ourselves into normalcy, you know, into a normal this NFL is, fan's no, it's body. This, this is the medicated portion. This is the medicated portion of the show. Okay. And it's taking a break from all of the other stuff and just fake for a few minutes that you are the fan of a real NFL franchise. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, how do you do uh, this? The look on Tommy's face. How do you do this? Priceless. Like, like I, I said, how do, you know, what? I'd have to take a pill. Uh, I'd have to t- literally take a pill. So in order for this to happen. I understand that. But I want right now for us to not act like the victims we've been for years and years and years where we've been treated like idiots by people like Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen who have essentially looked at us all like we're marks, you know, over the years. Those of you by the way who continue to spend money on this outfit, show up and profess your loyalty 
you really are similar to like persecuted groups of people. <laughs> you know, you just haven't figured it out. Some of us have risen up as a resistance, all right? But there are some of you that are just afraid to do it. But I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Listen, just say, I, I would And just war- say that you got nothing better else to do. I would warn all of you who are doing that. If they start giving out Kool-Aid at Ghost Town Field, don't drink <laughs> don't it. Drink it. <laughs> don't drink it. Don't drink it. Personally, I consider myself to be a very loyal fan, just one that prefers not to be insulted over and over and over again. But let's pretend. Let's play make-believe for just a few minutes and act like you know we're talking about the players on the roster, the coaching staff, all the people that play the games, and we're having a normal conversation about a normal NFL team. So my question to you, in th- with that context, what are you most optimistic about? Because I have become very optimistic about one thing. Do you want me to start? Well, I would, yeah, give me some guidance here because I'm really trying to, to what understand I don't he- what I'm supposed what to do What I don't want to hear and what I didn't want to hear on the phones this morning is somebody saying, I'm actually really optimistic for the first time that they're going to get rid of Bruce Allen and that Dan Snyder might sell the team to Jeff Bezos. I don't want to, that stuff doesn't exist in this alternate universe, pretend make believe universe we're living in for the next ten minutes. Okay, okay? but so if I do we're, this, we're rooting for an actual NFL franchise. You say they're not an NFL franchise, right? Or they're not an NFL team. We're pretending for a moment that they're actually a legitimate NFL team, and you're having a normal fan conversation about what you're excited about. Okay, but if I do this, you've got to let me do. You've got to let me go the, down the path I want to go on. But I don't want to hear about the aura of self destruction. No, you're not. Okay, as long as all of that's eliminated, go ahead. I'm most Look. optimistic about the coaching. <laughs> yeah, uh, this, I, this is acceptable. Okay, it's acceptable. I mean, go I ahead. think I think <clears throat> that what I've seen from Bill Callahan so far. In terms of a more disciplined team, you're not being serious. In in terms of accountability, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, you know, I don't think there's any ping pong anymore going on at Redskins Park. You know, there the players are complaining about having to practice more. I think that's a good thing. I think that's part of changing the culture, and I think that Bill Callahan, who once took a team to the Super Bowl. I might want to point out. Yeah, and was accused of sabotaging yes, said Super Bowl too. By his own recall, players. But if I recall, Charles Woodson <laughs> and, and Jerry Tim, Rice. And Tim Brown. Uh, Tim Brown and Jerry Rice. Yeah. That's what actually accused yes. Bill Callahan <laughs> yeah. of throwing that Super Bowl. He well, changed. Here's the story, if I recall. If uh, I'm going to let you finish. Because you know what? We haven't talked about this, actually, since Callahan became head coach. No, we haven't. Bill Callahan, in the Super Bowl that Oakland lost to Tampa Bay, where he was the head coach for Oakland, and John Gruden was the head coach of Tampa Bay, and he had worked with John Gruden, was friends with John Gruden. The week leading up to the Super Bowl, they had installed a game plan that essentially said, we're going to try to run the football, run the football, run the football. And on Friday, before the game, he came in and switched the entire game plan to one in which he was going to ask um, Rich Rich Gannon to throw the ball 60 times, which he did in the game. I think something like 50 or 60 times, whatever it was. Several years after that game, after they got absolutely blown out, I think it was 48 to 24 or whatever, um, Jerry Rice and Tim Brown both accused Bill Callahan of throwing the Super Bowl. They said sabotage was the word. That Tim Brown well, what, used. What's the difference? Well, there, there's a difference. Sabotage, you can sabotage something unintentionally. 
uh, throwing something is, is, oh, is they intentional. Oh, no, they accused no, him. No, they, it, no, because it was a John Gruden thing that he wanted John Gruden to win the Super Bowl. Well, that may be. But also, I mean, part of what was going on there was their their center went AWOL, went to Mexico, Barrett, Barrett Robbins. Barrett Robbins, right. And, and, and that he had, was— He had major anxiety yes, issues, yes. And that was seen as part of the reason for what they did, uh, for, for what Callahan For changing did. the game plan. Yeah. But 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 you know Rice and 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 Tim Brown didn't necessarily buy that. Other others. Who was the fullback from Penn State? Was it John Ritchie? Look that up, Aaron. To see who the fullback was on that you know Raider team. You know who stood up for two thousand. You know who stood up for Callahan? This won't surprise Rich you. Rich Gannon, Bill Romanowski. Yeah, Gannon. Bill too. Romanowski. Bill Romanowski did. did outspoken, but but you know he's a lunatic. He's a lunatic. <laughs> but you know what? We had him on a couple of times at the Super Bowl. Well, of remember? course, he's been on every radio program he, in the yeah, country. Yeah, because he's always selling something. Yeah. And I think it, those the, it, one of the stories about that came out, and I think we asked him about it, and he completely backed Callahan. Backed Callahan. So so I look. look okay. At, yeah. uh, John that, Ritchie, by the way. John Ritchie. John Ritchie. Sorry, fullback. Uh, I mean, he, he he was also. I think if you. I, I could be wrong, but I think John Ritchie said publicly he totally agreed with Rice and with Tim Brown. Oh, there were a lot of players who agreed with, who had issues. They said they had no chance to win the game by changing the game plan that late in the yeah. week. Yeah, but but still, he took the team to the Super Bowl, and and I I think that the coaching has gotten better. I think that uh, I think you're going to have more stability on the football field. I think you're going to have less Club J like there used to be. Uh, and I think that that Bill Callahan, I think, is, has got this team going in the right direction. <laughs> Are you serious? No. Well, you asked, me, you asked me to fantasize. I'm I, I, fantasizing I know, I know. here. I know. You, you, I, I'm doing you, what you asked me you to do, do. You do know that Doc is 100% all in on Callahan. There you go. Doc thinks he's the second coming of Bill Walsh. And actually not Bill Walsh, Vince Lombardi would be a better comp. Okay. For Callahan. Well, that's that's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's okay. pretty good. That's that's, that's really better good. than the second coming of Jim Zorn. That's true. Um I know you're not serious, but you know, like we talked about the other day and I talked about it on the radio yesterday, if they win Sunday or they're even close to winning Sunday, Callahan coming back is in play. Yeah, that's in play, and as well it should be. All right, so let me um, let me play uh, pretend, make believe here, and pretend that I'm talking about a team that's a real NFL team with real NFL issues, and you know, not the the stuff that always becomes an issue with this team. I'm really excited about Darius Geis, and it's so surprising to me that I am because I did not think I would ever be excited about Darius Geis when he came out. I thought there were some injury things. I liked him. I didn't love him. I liked a lot of other running backs in that draft, which was a heavy, heavy running back draft. And, you know, if Bryce Love had been in that 2018 draft, there probably would have been four first-round running backs taken. Um, He was the last of seven or eight taken in the first two rounds, which is a hell of a lot for the running back position. And, uh, you know, I I wasn't expecting anything. When he went down in week one, I'm like, we may never, ever hear – or get the opportunity to see if Darius Geis was any good. What he did Sunday was unique. It, 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 first of all, 10 carries, 129 yards. But it, right. was, it was the way he did it. He 112 of the 129 yards were after contact. He is a guy that makes your offense. The running back position doesn't do it a lot. 
Doesn't do it a lot. It, it, it was it became for many years a commodity position almost. And you can win with fifth round running backs. You know, you can win with guy undrafted running backs. Philip Lindsay, they're not winning in Denver, but Philip Lindsay was an all pro as an undrafted rookie last year. You can find those guys. But he there's something in watching him Sunday and even the two weeks prior to that. Special is in play with him. Like he could be one of those special running backs. And if he is, you got something to build around offensively. And he's got to stay healthy, and that's a big if. He he's he got injured at LSU. He's already been injured twice here um, in two years. And, you know, availability is everything. But if he is available and he stays healthy and he has a 16-game season with an actual coaching staff, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy that could go for 17, 1,800 yards and be a dominant back. I'm excited about and, that. And what would that and playing mean? Playing this game. What would that mean for the team? Well, I mean, because this team had had a running back like that years ago, named Clinton Portis. Mm-hmm. And what did it mean to the team? Well, the team with Clinton Portis was a better team. But with what did Joe it, Gibbs is the coach? But what did it mean? I uh, mean, did they, uh, well, what, did, it, they it, never it, won more than 10, 10 games? I understand that. Uh, they never got to the NFC Championship, right? And the time that Clinton Portis is here, if you take their one loss record, mm-hmm. it's a losing record. Yes. So, what good is it for Darius Geis to be great? Well, I mean, I, I think you could definitely say that you know a guy like Zeke Elliott is the difference between the Cowboys or certainly the without... Cowboys have talent. I know they do have talent. They do, but Zeke Elliott's been a big part of why they won a division, that. and they could potentially win a second one. Although I don't like them tonight. No, and um, they're they're still they're still not they're, they still haven't gotten to the Super Bowl, and and they're still seen as an underachieving team, even with uh, Zeke Elliott as, as their running back. The, the, the Cowboys are not a good comparable because they, Adrian they, Peterson did not take Minnesota to a Super Bowl. Okay, okay. Um, Zeke Elliott has not taken the Cowboys to. A Super Bowl. And thinking of the elite backs of the last uh, few years, like the guys that were that were true difference makers, none of them have really taken. I mean, they, they haven't. I mean, Gurley wasn't even a part of the Rams. No, a significant the guy part. off the street that was was got more carries than Gurley did. Um, Saquon Barkley is a difference maker. David Johnson, you know, was a, a difference maker in Arizona, and probably the difference of you know two two games a year. Something like that when he when he was great. Alvin Kamara. What what are the Saints without Kamara? They're probably still a good team, but would would they have been in the NFC Championship game last year? Uh, you know, remember they had three consecutive seven and nine seasons yeah. in New Orleans, and then they got better defensively, which was really important. And they added a guy like Kamara, and Kamara is not a good comp um, for uh, uh, for guys. I, I, look, I'm just. You're right. You can't take a running back here in recent years and say that team won the Super Bowl because of the running back. It didn't happen with New England last year. It wasn't a Philadelphia running back story the year before. And it wasn't, you know, in Denver when they beat Carolina. Was that the year before that? I can't remember. I'm getting my Super Bowls mixed up. Um, but but I, I you, I'm trying to just take a day off from – you know, essentially talking about an NFL franchise that is bottom rung and really isn't a, a typical NFL franchise with the typical conversations that take place among its fans. And have a conversation here briefly that typical fans of a real NFL team would have. You're, I'm excited about guys. You're going to have a chance to do that for real 
after they win Sunday. <laughs> after they beat the Packers. You'll be God. able to have that conversation for real. What a dilemma. You won't have to pretend. What a dilemma. It really is amazing. I mean, it it really is. I mean, you know, it, this could be one of their... This could be the most satisfying win since their Monday night win over Dallas a couple years ago. Uh, Marshawn Lynch was a big difference maker. I know Russell Wilson was the biggest difference maker. No, he was. Marshawn Lynch, in terms of a team getting to the Super Bowl and and, and winning a Super Bowl, was a massive difference maker at You're the right. position. And you know what? He's my comp. He's I know. the guy that I, I think is the comp. I know. I know. But the Russell Wilson part uh, isn't there. I mean, but Redskins fans are facing this situation where, uh, I mean, contrary to my fantasy, I think most fans realize that they don't want Bill Callahan as their head coach moving forward. But yet they also recognize that if somehow the Redskins win some kind of glorious victory Sunday, that that Bill Callahan is much closer to being your head coach for the next three or four years. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't honestly. I don't know that anybody really knows. I think Bruce Allen's going to be gone. I think if they play well down the stretch, that Callahan's in play. That would be my guess today. I still think Bruce Allen's gone. I do think that if you know, and I, we we talked about this. Well, I talked about it yesterday in the podcast, and we started that conversation on Tuesday. I think if they beat the Packers at Lambeau, I'm telling you that that limo ride that comes out of. Lambeau Field and is headed to that private airport in Appleton, Wisconsin, or wherever it is. Those two dudes, Bruce and Dan, are going to be chest bumping. Yes, They're going to be they rolling are. down their windows screaming, "We told you so!" And it's going to be it, it. It'll be insufferable for anybody that's around it that knows better. Um, and it would certainly put in play everybody's coming back. Because as, I, as we talked about two days ago, a win over Green Bay is not a win over Carolina or a win over Detroit or a win over Miami. It's not. If they go to Green Bay and beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers at Lambeau Field yes. and they've got a three-game winning streak and Dallas loses tonight and they're actually alive, uh, everything's in play. Even though, I, I mean, from what I'm hearing, I'm, I'm hearing just – that the Bruce thing is definitely coming to an end. But, you know, I felt that way last year and was hearing a lot of the same stuff last year. So what the hell do I know? Nothing. Um, but the Callahan thing would be a disaster. I think we, we talked about this. If if they do beat Green Bay or they're really close and they get really excited and they, you know, they, they bills the, the coach here next year, we'll have the same conversation a year from today. The same conversation will be taking place. About a four and nine or a five and eight, you know, or six and seven football team. We'll have the same conversation <laughs> know, if Donald Duck is the head coach. <laughs> That's fair. That is fair. Um, one more thing before um, I'll finish up the show with a smell test. In between the podcast and or the radio show and the podcast today, I read this story in the Post by Neil Greenberg, you know, the the analytics person for the Post, and I really found this very interesting. Dwayne Haskins had a ridiculously low QBR number. You know, the QBR number is the ESPN number that ranks quarterback overall performances. It's much different than the passer rating. Yes. It, it encapsulates everything a quarterback does during a game. And, and uh, Dwayne Haskins' QBR rating from Sunday's game was a 9.7 on a scale of 0 to 100. It's terrible. 
It's terrible. And I, I, I never, you know, I look at those things, but it never, it never influences me really. If I think I saw something different and I thought he played pretty well. I thought he had a lot of drops that the receivers potentially could have helped him out to a much better statistical day on Sunday against the Panthers, whereas the receivers against Detroit really helped him out by making great catches. Well, they didn't so much on Sunday against Carolina, but I thought he managed the game really well. I thought he had some good throws that weren't completed, good throws that were dropped, made some good decisions in running the football, a couple of good decisions on throwaways. Well, anyway... Neil Greenberg wrote this story that Pro Football Focus, which is, again, one of these analytics you know, evaluation services. Is Pro Football Focus the one that Collinsworth is an investor in? Yes. Um, so they had him as the second best passer of week 13 last weekend behind only Deshaun Watson. You know how I read about that and know about that? I don't. Because uh, I read about this on Dwayne Haskins' uh, Twitter account because he retweeted the pro football focus. Did he really? Yes, he did. Oh. I mean, I mean, ha- how many players pat themselves on the back like this? I mean, he retweeted. Uh. Uh, he retweeted it. Uh, yeah, and then uh, I, I tell you what, he not only did he retweet it, but he retweeted it a second time, and Aaron, you may have to help me with this. The hashtag TMC, what does that mean? Do you know? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Well, he oh. has he has retweeted it a second time uh, and with the hashtag TMC. Now, I'm not sh- I don't even know what that means. So uh, that's how I found out about Is- the pro football focus uh, uh, one because Dwayne Haskins himself re- retweeted it. Twice. What, what is hashtag t- TMC? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, I'll have to Google it maybe. To whom to it see. may concern? Maybe. Yeah, that's possible. Okay, so that's it. In other words, in case you didn't read it the first time he retweeted it, <laughs> he wanted to make sure that if you were concerned uh, about this, you got a chance to read it the second time. Oh, yeah, and that was that was after he retweeted the the latest sale on his clothing line i would have well. a, i would have asked him how cyber monday went for him yes i would have been interested <laughs> yes. to see how he did because i think it was a huge day for the economy last friday and on monday oh my yeah, god Yeah, i'm wondering if it was a big day for what's he, uh, he did he, the he, kingdom he, of pride he, he, he retweeted this yes stuff. he did twice in, in, to, to whom Dwayne, it may concern. Dwayne, Dwayne, Sean, Sean Springs, tell your guy not to retweet compliments. Yeah. Okay? It's a ridiculous it's just, look. It's sort of, it's, it, that should be social media 101 stuff, um, but not for because, his age group because, because this is what they do. They, because they want other the people will retweet it for you. You don't have to do Everybody's it. Everybody's going to retweet it for you, dude. You had Neil Greenberg in the Post writing a story <laughs> about it. It's on the front page of the sports section. <laughs> um. Anyway, I just I found that so fascinating that you've got you know all of these advanced statistics services and 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 benchmarks. And you've got you know ESPN's QBR telling you that he was horrible 
I mean, the worst quarterback in the league, and pro football focus on the same game looking at it and saying, second best quarterback in the league. And I know they all have different ways of evaluating, but at the end of the day, if one service is saying second best in the league and the other is saying worst performance of the week, how could you trust either one of them? You know, I wonder if this is going to cause... Just watch the game yourself. I wonder if this is going to cause some kind of, of showdown when the geeks have their meeting wherever their secret meetings are. Well, it's funny because Greenberg, um, he he had a sense of humor about this. Hold on. Oh, that's hard to believe. I I don't know him. Do you? Yeah, I know him a little bit. Oh, okay. He's a weasel of the first order. Really? How's that? Really? Yes. Okay. In fact, he'd have to rally to be a weasel. Um, I don't know Neil at all, um, but he had a sense of humor about it here, and I'm trying to find... Trust me. He doesn't have a sense of humor. (laughs) Okay. Well, he wrote with a sense of humor at one point. How to explain the disparity? Uh, it's important to note that Pro Football Focus's grading system isolates quarterback's performance on a given play, not the end result. Meaning, as I get to the, all right, meaning that two quarterbacks could throw a touchdown or an interception and get vastly different grades. To PFF, the numbers themselves. Where's the? Uh, he had a line in here about you know many of you may be sort of shaking I'm sure, your head about I'm sure the, it was, the geek factor. I'm sure it was Rickles like in, in <laughs> Well, it wasn't Rickles like. You know, I don't can't believe you're wasting my time with a Neil Greenberg story. I just thought it was fascinating that you have two. This of is these, a bad. This is a bad side of yours. So completely different evaluations of the same guy in the same game. I thought he played well. I gave him a B minus. I thought he played well too, and and what I didn't watch the game, but the highlights that I've watched, uh, I thought he had some very impressive plays actually. I'm looking for um, the part of the story that indicated that he had at least slightly a sense of humor, and I can't find it, which means maybe I read that somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, maybe you did. Maybe you did. Because I, 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 I thought again, I read it in his story. No, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> um, you know what? I read Barry. I read Sally. This is not a referendum on the post. I'm talking I, about I'm, one well, guy. Hold on. I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. One of the things that I don't think the Post does really anymore, maybe they don't want to do it anymore. They don't break stories. You know, they're not a news breaker. I don't, I mean, maybe that's their intent. I mean, most of the stories about teams in town get broken by other places National other than the Post. Outlets. But I do like the columnists. I think Barry's a good columnist. I think Dave Shinen's an excellent, excellent he's columnist. He's not a columnist. Well, he is sort of. No, he's not. You think he's a reporter? He, he's a feature writer. Okay, what's the difference between feature writer and columnist? Well, a columnist oh, a fe- will okay, fe- write, write their opinions. Like Chuck Culpepper's a feature writer? Uh, yeah. He's excellent. Yes, he is. Tommy, he's a beautiful he writer. I know, but trust me, uh, I know he is. I, 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 I really like Sally. So... Um, a columnist is just straight, like, talk show opinion maker. Well, no, not necessarily. A columnist can write a feature column as well. Okay. You know, but a columnist has the leeway to inject, and, and it's expected to inject their opinion. That's why I always get a laugh out of people when they say, you know, you're 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 biased in your writing. Yeah, well, you're supposed to. Be. Well, you know, that's that's <laughs> yeah. the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I I think I did this the other day when people will say to me, you know, you you need to be objective when yeah, it comes yeah, to this stuff, yeah. and I'm like, actually, my job description <laughs> says the exact opposite that I'm not supposed to be objective, even oh, though I try to be on some let's subjects. Objective. Stop talking about this. <laughs> um, 
All right. Uh, what else? Oh, I've got a smell test pick. Okay. Early smell test this pick. This is good. Oh, Aaron, last night, I, yep. I didn't say this on the air, but Purdue. I think I told you I had Purdue of for course. the maximum. They were favored over Virginia. I also had Ohio State. I told you that that number was short. They were getting three. Ohio State is really good. Didn't we have the conversation about Ohio State at the end of the show yesterday? Yeah. And um, I ended up playing Maryland and Penn State also. So I, was, I had a 4-0 college hoops night last night. Sorry I didn't give those out on the show. But there are lots of times, trust me, where what I tell Aaron after the show, if I had given it out on the show, you would have been really upset with me. <laughs> um, but uh, the So last weekend I ended up going 5-5 five and five if you count the Thanksgiving Day games, 5-3 and three for the weekend. Uh, so step forward after you know a, a terrible month and a half. Chicago's getting three tonight at home against the Cowboys. The public believes because the Cowboys have to win the game. They don't have to. You know, they could fall to six and seven and still be okay in the NFC East. But, you know, the Jerry pressure after the loss on Thanksgiving and we're going to run the table and all that stuff. People are buying into it. The public's all over the Cowboys tonight, laying three at Soldier Field. Uh, give me the Bears in the smell test, plus three at home. The Bears are good defensively. They're still very good defensively. Trubisky's terrible, but he came off, I guess, the best game he's ever had in the Thanksgiving Day game. This is not your typical short week game because both of these teams played on Thanksgiving right. a week ago, so they've had the full week. And Chicago at 6-6 six and six is still in the playoff picture. Not really the division picture because Green Bay's sitting there at 9-3, and three, so they're three games behind the Packers. They're not going to catch them. But there's, there are two games behind the Vikings. They could catch the Vikings for that last wild card spot, and they play the Vikings in the final game of the year. So I like Chicago tonight plus the three. What do you think, Aaron? I agree. I mean, you like you like that side. It's just so. I'm asking Aaron now because I'm so gun shy after having such a terrible month and a half. And Aaron's got a sharp opinion, like which is also why I'm asking. It's one of those things where I just, you know, I with your process, yes, it absolutely fits the process. I just hate everything about really about this game. Both teams can do anything, any game. I'm staying away. I might play a couple props or something like that. But in general, I'm I'm staying off. No, this game. he he can't hold his nose enough to, to, to <laughs> yes, do that. I I don't hold Chicago, my nose and take a pick. Well, you know, last weekend, uh, you know, I had a couple of teams that you truly have to hold your nose to play, like Cincinnati. Yeah, you know, the, to play the Bengals as an zero and nine team <laughs> and to give it out confidently, which I didn't give it out very confidently <laughs> because of the stretch that I've been on. But I gave out the Bengals last week, the Jags. The Bengals didn't get it done. The Jags di- didn't. Or the ba- Bengals did. The Jags didn't. The Giants did. Um, but then I came back um, with uh, with Houston uh, on uh, on Sunday night, so ended up uh, having a decent weekend overall. Um, Chicago tonight plus the three—that's the smell test pick. And if the Cowboys win the game, the Redskins are officially eliminated. Let's make sure everybody understands that. If the Cowboys win tonight, all of you people that are actually thinking that the playoffs could be a possibility. Uh, they will die tonight. If this the is why win. I'm rooting for Chicago to win. Because <laughs> I want Sunday to mean everything. I'm rooting for Chicago to win because it will benefit me if they win tonight. Although, if they lose by two, I'm still in good shape. There you go. All right. Uh, thanks. Have a good day. All right, boss. You Aaron, too. thank you. Thanks to all of you. Back tomorrow with a football Friday, including a preview of Redskins, Packers, and I think Cooley will be on the show tomorrow as well.